Are you sure you should be doing this stuff? Have you got an anti-drug message that you're going to convey now? I just feel like it couldn't hurt to not be on heroin. Couldn't it? You know, I used to be sober. When I was sober, I was worried about, oh, is this the twilight of my career? You know, am I bringing up my kid the right way? Now, I'm just worried about drugs. You're worried about so many things, Aaron. Your life's to-do list must be a baffling document. Mine has on it but one word. What's it all about? My Aquatic Jerk. My Aquatic Jerk. My Aquatic Jerk. Mention World of Warcraft to anyone, and you're likely to hear a cautionary tale that sounds like something out of William S. Burroughs. Marriages ruined, jobs lost, kids playing until they die of exhaustion. I know other people who are curious, but afraid even to try. Sort of how I feel about LSD. For me, it started with an ad offering a free 10-day trial. That sounded about right. I'd see what it was all about and cancel before the billing started. But of course, Blizzard Entertainment knows what it's doing here. A good dealer is happy to give a free taste. episode, I talked about doing those early quests, killing ten wolves, and how it seemed pointless at first, and then how it changed for me. This is a key point in addiction, when attachment happens, when something foreign gains citizenship. The TV show you know isn't great, but you get caught up in, or the ex-girlfriend I needed to forget, who in just a few months had gone from stranger to the center of my attention. After my sample week, I subscribed. I opted for the more expensive month-to-month plan rather than committing to a longer stretch of time. Okay, so I was going past 10 days. Surely I'd be done in 30. But World of Warcraft works like every other subscription. Auto-renew. You keep buying until you make an effort not to. It used to be entrepreneurs had to scheme to get consumers to act. Then some genius figured out that if you really want to get rich, find a way to make money from people doing nothing. And nothing is what I did. At least that's how it must have looked to the rest of the world. As the months went on, more and more of each day was going to the game. Dating, hanging with friends, working out, all began to fall away. Older entertainments were largely dropped. TV, reading, self-respect. Email piled up in my inbox. Even the common computer goof-offs, Facebook, browsing, shopping, poker, were largely consumed by the World of Warcraft beast. It was like that old joke. Heroin helped me quit smoking. I'm Daniel Kaufman. Welcome to the Myoclonic Jerk Podcast. This episode, addiction. This is part two of the series on role-playing games, so if you haven't listened to the other one yet, go back and check that one out first. This time we're going to look at the darker side of games, how they hook us, and where they might be taking us. We're going to talk to therapist, author, and former game addict Siobhan Scott, some gamer friends of mine, including comedian and actor Kumail Nanjiani, Vlad Cole will be back to tell us how he turned his game addiction into a career. We'll hear more from role-playing game pioneer Richard Garriott, a.k.a. Lord British, and much more. Hold on to your joysticks. Miss Collier, according to your complaint, this young man who used to be your boyfriend, yes. he owes you money because you paid the first month's rent for him. When I would go to work and come home, he was on the computer playing WoW which is World of Warcraft, it's like a computer game. So he would always be on it. Instead of looking for a job, he was obsessed with it. Well, I did play World of Warcraft a lot. What's the name of this game? World of Warcraft. Say it slowly, I'm... World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft. Yes, Yes, sir. You ever heard of that? (laughs) Go ahead. World of Warcraft's not the first game I've ever been caught up in. 
The difference with all the others is they only ever lasted a week or two. Sure, I worked my way through somewhat obsessively, but once I finished, I was fine with it being over. The peril of World of Warcraft is it's never over. It's like some severe tantric practice where you don't climax. World of Warcraft has a devious bear-went-over-the-mountain quality. There's always another quest, and another after that, another aspect of your character to improve, make stronger, a new skill to acquire. World of Warcraft logic is circular. Why do you quest for rewards and experience points? To gain power. Why do you want to gain power? So you can do better at quests. Repeat. There's no finish line, no end, no roll of credits, no clear signal to ever leave. You know I worked so hard All day long Everything I try to do Seem to always turn out wrong That's why I want to stop by On my way home And say Siobhan Scott is a psychotherapist and the co-author, along with Nels Clark, of a book on game addiction. Her experience of the subject is not just from the outside. I asked her how she got into games. Initially, it was trying to get my teenage kids off them. I never really understood what they were doing. They would disappear into their bedrooms on their computers. I would be saying, it's time to come up for dinner. You can play the game later. We can't. One Thanksgiving, I sat down with them because they refused to come and eat because they were playing Planetside. And I was fascinated and said, I want to do this. They were really thrilled. They were taking bets that I wouldn't even be able to make my avatar move. <laughs> and it did take a while. What was your avatar? Zanzara. <laughs> and from that, they got into Lineage 2. And wanted to introduce me to that because they needed a healer. And mom would be a really dumb healer. We could make <laughs> her follow us around and do whatever we want. That's interesting to take advantage of the maternal instinct. That'd be great for a healer. Did you feel that when you were following them around? Like, these are my babies. Oh, of I gotta... course. And a therapist. Yeah. I mean, what else do you do but you become <laughs> a healer? Then I was a light elf who were the good guys. I was embarrassed to play a dark elf. They were far too sexualized. And I thought, I can't let my kids see me in that costume. <laughs> they got bored with that game and quit after a few months. But I stayed in it for over two years. Oh, wow. How much were you playing at the worst? Probably 12 hours a day, wow. every day. I ended up becoming an in-game therapist, and people would actually log in just to tell me about their relationship problems. Did they know you were a therapist in RL? Yes. Or... In fact, I would tell people who were playing like jerks, you had a bad day. Why do you keep killing me? You know, this really, <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? And were they receptive to this? Because anonymity brings out the worst in people. It absolutely brings out the worst in some people, brings out the best in other people. Mm -hmm. They become less shy. Oh, that's interesting. But I think because my approach was always polite and curious, people responded to that. And then they would get a lot of free therapy. They like. did. One of the ones that kept killing me in a most vicious way turned out to be a police officer. And you befriended him? Yeah, to the point that he went through a breakup and he was suicidal. And his brother logged in and said, would you call him on the phone? Because he said he would talk to you. So I actually spent about an hour on the phone with him and it was a good thing. Nice. So how did you ultimately quit? My husband died suddenly. And that was extremely traumatizing. But one of the things that helped me cope were my game friends. Those relationships can really be positive. Why did that lead to you stopping then? Because I really went through a survey of how do I want to spend my life. Right. And at the end of my life, do I want to say I was a damn good elf? Do you ever feel the itch? It's gone away over time. But initially, I really did a lot. The music was a real trigger for me. Oh, yeah. Just doing the last episode where I had to go back into the game to get sound clips. It definitely triggers you a little bit. It totally triggers you. And that's one of the markers of addiction, having things in the environment trigger craving. Do you feel the comparison of games to drugs? There's validity there? Is it methamphetamine? No. But for some people, we're talking what one out of 10 people have problems with gaming. A combination of their own vulnerabilities and the very powerful reward systems in the game can cause something that seems like a drug addiction. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. 
Any questions? What is happening with these games? What's hooking us? It's an incredibly multifaceted process. Dopamine is the pleasure neurochemical, and addictive drugs cause large increases in dopamine. And in gaming, for some people in particular, it seems to do the same thing. One of the theories is that some people may be naturally deficient in dopamine, so the world is just kind of boring and flat to them until they find something that gets a dopamine rush. And when they find that, they go back to that experience over and over, and the brain's reward system gradually becomes used to that. It becomes efficient. So their brains actually crave that dopamine rather than going to other pleasurable activities. So that's called the motivational monopoly. It's the one thing that makes them feel good. Nothing else is fun. Nothing else is interesting. Can you share some of the worst game addiction cases? A mom got so frustrated she picked up the laptop and hit the kid over the head. Wow. A case of someone giving up custody of their child so they could game 20 hours a day. Stealing parents' credit cards for virtual gold. Failing high school, losing jobs, being kicked out of the military. Being kicked out of college is chronic and people are often very ashamed of it, but sometimes they're still gaming. Beyond the personal guilt of dissipation, I feel some to the world. So many problems and I'm not helping with any. The legend goes, Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Today, people refer to Nero to say someone is dumb, frivolous, blithely unconcerned. But I prefer to imagine a Nero who is not so much apathetic as confused and overwhelmed, who feels like whatever he might try would be futile. I heard a news report that said a nuclear or biological attack on the U.S. is likely in the next four years. Our dominant cultural camps seem to be religious fanaticism and girls gone wild. There's unemployment, debt, disease, earthquakes, tsunamis. We all know about these things. And what do the vast majority of us do? Live our lives, do our work, raise our kids. And when we find a little free time, we watch TV, play on our computers, have a drink, catch a movie or a game, we fiddle. It's not because we don't care. It's because we're not sure what else to do. We could try a little harder, choose struggle over comfort a little more often. There are people who do. If we make it, it'll be thanks to them. If we don't, and if these words are somehow heard by the ones who crawl out of the rubble to start over, I just want to say it wasn't that we didn't care. And sorry. Who wants to think about all that? It's enough to make you seek out small tasks you know you can accomplish. Like kill ten wolves. I took to muting my computer when I'd kill a wolf because I worried the sound might upset my real-life dogs. I imagine they had some sense that I was making the sounds that came out of the machine and would wonder, why is he hurting dogs and when will it be our turn? My poor dog's lives grew dull as I fell deeper into the game. They sat on the couch in the real world and waited for my return. When I neglected them too long, they came over and let me know. Throughout the depths of my addiction, they were a tether to the physical world and possibly my sanity. Almost daily, they were tormented by a squirrel who would sit on a branch outside the window. They barked and whined at what they saw on the flat glass pane. I laughed at them. Silly girls, what do you want to fight? Now shh, I'm playing World of Warcraft. Images of broken light which dance before me like a million eyes. They call me on and on across the universe. Have you guys uh, heard of this new drug called cheese? That's like a street name for it. It's like a new drug cocktail called cheese. I read like four or five news reports on it. They were like, there's this new drug called cheese. It's sweeping the nation. Kids in the Midwest are doing it. It's an epidemic. It's a new drug. It's an epidemic. Then I looked up where cheese is. Cheese is Tylenol PM and heroin. So really, it's heroin. It's mostly heroin. Heroin's doing the heavy lifting in this drug cocktail. It's not a new drug. It's mostly heroin. 
I can't put heroin on pancakes and go, I have a new drug. I call it shake cakes. You eat them every day. If you stop, you'll get the shakes. Don't forget the special shake sauce. It's maple syrup and heroin. Pour that on there. It's not a new drug is my point. It's mostly heroin. I think the last new drug was crystal meth, which you had to make in your bathtub. And if you fucked up while you were making it, everything would explode and you would die. That's how dangerous that drug is. Just trying to make it can kill you. And you make it just from shit you get at the store. To make cheese, you still need heroin. Just do the heroin. You already have heroin. Just do the heroin. That's my message to you guys tonight. That was Kumail Nanjiani. He's never tried World of Warcraft. Because it's defeated people who are way less into games than I am. But that's about the only sphere of gaming he's missed. Kumail's been a gamer his whole life. Well, I had a Commodore 64 when I was very young. My cousin had a Nintendo, just a regular Nintendo. I got a Sega Genesis. And then I got a Super Nintendo. And I got a PlayStation. And there was a system called the Dreamcast. And then now I'm current. I have an Xbox 360 and a PlayStation 3. And yet, Kumail's a successful comedian and actor. He's currently part of the cast of the new TNT show, Franklin and Bash. He didn't have to quit gaming to get there, but he did have to rein it in. And he has. Right from his early school days in Karachi, it was clear Kumail was a gamer. In the summer, kids would get darker because they'd be out in the sun playing, and I would get lighter oh, because yeah? I would be at home playing video games. People accuse you of trying to lighten or something. <laughs> like Michael Jackson. But it is also considered more attractive. So. <laughs> so you just pick out the gamers from your class by who was paler. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> guess. Like a, like a class picture. Yeah. The, the one kid from America must love video games. <laughs> Would people from the outside looked at it, would it seem like you had a problem? I remember my dad talked to me a couple times and was like, I think that's a bit much. Because we had these games, you couldn't save the games. You had to beat them in one try. Oh, you can't even stop. Yeah, I remember this one game. It was called Quackshot. So I started that in the morning, and then I played it all day. My dad got home at night, and I was like, I played this video game all day. I was really happy. (laughs) You were proud of yourself. I was very happy. (laughs) It's a feat. It's hard to do. I can't do it anymore. There was a game, Impossible Mission. There was a game called Impossible Mission. Impossible Mission, Mission, so no copyright problems. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) War Star. (laughs) That was a good one. War Star, (laughs) trekking through the stars. The bad guy, he loved this video game, and then he got to the last level and the power went out. So he got really angry, and he set up that game in real life and would capture people and make them go through it. That was the concept of the game. That was the concept of the game. And that's how I feel sometimes with games, like I'm trapped, like I really need to beat them. Before you put the limits on, there was a time where you were playing like crazy, right? Yeah. There's a game called Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2. And there was one level you had to get a million points, and it's one minute, and I had the whole route planned out in my head, like go do this jump and spin here. If I've messed up, start, restart, start, restart. And I looked over, and it had been four hours. Yeah. So less than one-minute chunks of gaming. Right. You just four hours straight. Like a machine. And if you'd asked me, I would have been like, it's probably been a half hour. But that's when I decided to put limits on. That's not such a bad bottom. No. I mean, there are people who but Some die. people like don't realize till they, yeah, or till they get divorced or something that they have to change. You know, you just, oh, I played four hours. It's not, very yeah. dra- it's not very dramatic. But I felt, it's not I good radio. felt very dramatic. Can you I make felt some? like a loser. <laughs> four hours. Like sweaty. Four hours in less than like 20 <laughs> second increments. It's a lot. Oh, I remember one time when I first moved to New York, Emily and I, my wife, moved there 2007. Yeah. I was just in this horrible place where I didn't have a job. I had no career prospects. Nothing was going on. Uh-huh. Halo 3 had just come out. And I was playing it so much that I would start hearing different languages on my headset. Oh, because I was time zones? Yeah, (laughs) I was like touring the world. It was like a (laughs) shitty Epcot center. Right. And I would hear British accents, and then people would start speaking Chinese, and that's how much I was... Wow, so you were definitely escaping. I didn't think of it then. I wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'm going to escape into this video game now. But that's what was happening, and it wouldn't help. It would just make me worse. I would be done with these games, and I would be really, really stressed out. And Emily told me, she would talk to me, and I wouldn't even listen. And she was like, you have to stop. And I was like, she's right. It was really, really bad. And that's when I decided three games while the sun is out, and that's it. Yeah, as much as I love games, I feel like they're a little destructive. They can be, but it's like anything. I defend games. I love video games. Do you remember? Was it fun? No. 
I couldn't tell. I used to play the basketball game online. And I would get really worked up because it's just you and another guy. And then at one point I was like, is this fun? I couldn't figure out if it was fun. And that's when I stopped. I don't play that online anymore. So what's happening when you're doing it and it's not fun? What do you think is going on? I think I just want to win so bad. I just want to beat this fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah. It's 40 minutes, one dude somewhere else. Are you trash talking? There was this guy. He was better than me and he kept dunking and he would yell slam when he would dunk <laughs> on me. Yeah. And then he would show me the replay. They could force you to see your humiliation. Everybody gets three minutes of replay. So you can hit start <laughs> and he would just show me the dunks over and over. <laughs> It was horrifying. And I had this fantasy that I would be at a store and the guy would be like, slam, and I would look and it's that guy. And then what would you do? I would just beat him up. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> it can get pretty ugly online. So if your life is a pie chart, your whole life from birth to death, what chunk of that is going to be games by the end? Ooh. Wedge? It'll probably be something significant. It won't be one of those things where they can't fit it into the wedge, right? It'll... <laughs> no, no, you'll see the color. You'll see what color it is. Yeah. I don't see myself ever stopping playing right. video games. Can you I'll think play... of what games you gave the biggest part of your life to so far? There was a game called Shinobi on the Genesis that I never beat. And that What's that like? still bugs me. It's just a ninja fighting other robots. So ninjas. now if you got to the end of that game, you never need to play it again? I would never play it again if I got to the end of it. I have an old Genesis now and I try it's and like go back. It's like on your bucket list. I try and go back and beat it. Exactly. It's like this unfinished thing, yeah. Yeah. I can see how that would haunt you. Is that part of the addiction? I think so. Just need uh, to finish or need yeah, to conquer? Yeah, totally. Two years ago, I tried to beat it again. I'm sure I will beat it before I die. <laughs> I am 100%. And how do you think you're going to feel when that happens? I'll feel fucking great. Really? Yeah. You're not going to have like, that empty, like, boy, that was pointless. 15 years in the making. I was stuck for many, many weeks on this one part where you had to find a robot that shoots homing missiles at you. Yeah. And defeating it was only slightly easier than fighting an actual robot <laughs> that shoots homing missiles at you would be. <laughs> Video games used to be hard. Those games, you could die and you start way in the beginning. I definitely used to feel me versus this game. It wasn't me and the game having fun together. You know, you say you beat games. Yeah. I played them so much that I refer to books like that. I beat this book because it became <laughs> such a thing of trying to conquer it. But now video games are more focused on enjoyment. They used to yeah. be pure challenge. Well, yeah, maybe they're starting to figure out that people just want this feeling of accomplishment. So if we make it less frustrating, give it to them. And then just, they'll keep just buying give them sugar more or just make it easier. easy calories. Yeah. That's why I feel like it's like a drug. I want to take this and feel this way. Yeah, but you're saving Hyrule from Agamemnon, you know? <laughs> you're doing a lot that? of stuff, Zelda. <laughs> With drugs, you're getting feedback, but it's hard to convince yourself that you're accomplishing anything. Yeah. With games, there's a whole narrative. You saved a whole thing. Right, but it's all make-believe. It is all make-believe. <laughs> but when I win an NBA game, two hours later, I'll sit and I'll just think of awesome plays I made and how cool it was. And I'll imagine those guys now, they're in their locker rooms. Hey, that was is, a really good game. Is the satisfaction of that almost the same as your real life? In real life, I actually don't really feel a sense of satisfaction very much. Really? It's very fleeting. I saw you do Conan and you had a great set. That was really fun. Did you no, feel good afterwards? Like, I totally did. But 20 minutes later, I was like, all right, so what's the next set going to be? Your ego's like a sieve. Maybe that's why I need video games to have a sense of accomplishment because I rarely feel it. You need to keep plugging that into yourself. Yeah. Because with games, it probably doesn't sustain itself either, right? If I have a really good set on Conan, I'll feel good about it. But if I win a basketball game and yeah. it's really close, that sense of accomplishment lasts longer. Wow with stand-up i feel like there's still so much to do and it feels insurmountable but with video games i'm like oh yeah this is a chunk i can do this i got an ipad and i've been playing angry birds on it mm -hmm. and i'm trying to get three stars in every level it does nothing if i get three stars right. i've already unlocked all the levels that's for me i just want to unlock the levels i don't really care see but now I'm <laughs> but like, that's a different i mean that's also the same stupid accomplishment who cares if you unlock all yeah levels? you're like talking like well unlocking the levels that seems valid yeah that's a, <laughs> that's a real accomplishment i'm like so far beyond i can't even tell anymore the weird thing is even though video games are interactive, they do stifle thought while I'm doing it. I don't feel creative. Like if I'm watching a movie or reading a book, this is all stuff that's going in and I can process it and create something out of it and I'm learning. And for video games, for the most part, I feel like most of my brain is off that I'm just reacting. Right. And that's part of the attraction? That's probably part of the attraction is that that's the time where I don't have to think. Last episode, Vlad talked about MRI data and your brain is lit up on games more than any other medium. But maybe what you're saying is that's a negative. Your brain is too lit up, so it can't work. It's not doing anything else. It's too busy. Yeah, all of it is focused on this game, which ultimately is meaningless. 
there was this piece on fresh air. This guy was talking about memory. Matt Riptel, welcome to Fresh Air. And how we need downtime to process things that we've seen and learned so we can cement them into our consciousness. And he's saying that the big danger of all the smartphones and everything now is that we never have downtime. That's right. So you can always be amused. You're either watching TV or you're listening to a podcast or you're playing a game on your phone or you're checking your email. But I feel like my memory is definitely deteriorated sharply. And it's hard to know how much of it is just getting older and how much of it is this. <laughs> and I'm trying not to. I know you caught me once checking my email during a movie, but I try to just watch a TV show when I'm watching. Once? So, yeah, once or twice. <laughs> Your <laughs> memory yeah, is getting bad. <laughs> And it's not just memories. It's like also to be creative, you need to be a little bored. You need to have your mind free to wander sometimes. Yeah, that's why I want to get rid of the iPad. I was watching a movie last night. And so just watching the movie, I had my iPad and I was surfing the net too. Right. And you're just not as engaged. You don't have that freedom to make a connection with something you saw in the movie or ruminate during a quiet scene exactly. and have a memory. Yeah. And I think games, because so much of it is being quick and reactive, that they don't have any space for that. In New York, I would get on the subway and I would just sit there for 40 minutes and I would just think about stuff. I would notice stuff or I would read something. Uh -huh. And then when I started taking my DS around, That's the stopped. trip would seem like three minutes long and right. I accomplished nothing. Yeah. When you're out and about, you want to be engaged with the world. It's so easy to... Right, the handheld thing takes away your ability to escape your game yeah. system. I mean, they're amazing, but yeah. I've decided not to buy them because I'm not productive. If nothing's going in, I have to go out and do stuff. Nothing from nothing. Every Tuesday morning, World of Warcraft is shut down for maintenance. That's when the junkies find themselves. There's no jonesing if you have a steady supply. It's one thing to choose to walk away for a time, but to want your fix and have no possibility of getting it? That feels like prison time. Of course, it's actually freedom. But addiction is about escaping freedom. It's about shrinking the world and all its noise and choice and elbows down to something manageable. Some drugs make you feel more, speed you up, but games fall into the downer category. The hallucinogen parallels are there too, but I think that's secondary to just wanting a little peace. I know war is right there in the title, but for all its violence, this place is easier, softer, less perilous. It's like one of those sanitariums people check into voluntarily. A big, colorful, padded cell. We live in an age of options, a serial aisle. Hundreds of channels, thousands of podcasts, millions of songs. It's impossible to be well-read anymore in any medium. And who to marry? Log on and browse an endless supply of potential mates. It can be overwhelming. But this little screen we enter to expand our life is also there for us when we want to contract it. Games do it for some, but everyone has their ways of shrinking the world to some manageable facet. Fashion, sports, celebrity gossip, gambling, needlepoint grammar policing. The people who go to comedy clubs are looking for laughs, yeah, but also to enjoy a vast, terrifying universe being reduced to amusing minutiae. Maybe I should put that in my promo package. Guaranteed to diminish your existential terror. You all remember Vlad Cole from the last episode? He works for Blizzard Entertainment, the company that makes World of Warcraft, but he had his own dark period with games. When 9-11 happened, I was working as a project manager at The Economist Group in New York City, and in the wake of 9-11, plus the recession, a lot of ad-supported jobs went poof. So I had already been playing EverQuest, but that's when the heaviness of that event, plus the loss of my job, really resulted in me retreating into that fantasy, and yeah. I played way too much. But I ended up leading a very large guild, and through that I was learning a ton of core management skills, recruiting and motivation and setting up reward systems. Whereas in the real world, if I weren't unemployed, I wouldn't <laughs> be responsible for 100 individuals, right. and they wouldn't look to me to make decisions like that. So it was an incredible experience, and that's when I realized I wanted to work in the industry. A lot of people goof off and like, I'm researching, but you really yeah. turn it into something. To my wife's relief. Uh, <laughs> oh, you were married at the time? Oh, yeah. She was worried I was just throwing my... I mean, it was a source of big tension to be unemployed and playing a lot of games. She wondered, well, gosh, is this ever going to end? Let's break from Vlad for a bit because that's the second time we've heard about wives being hurt by games. They sit at home like the wives of real soldiers, waiting for their men to return. There's a website for them called Widows of Warcraft. 
My friend, who goes here by the name of Emma, married a gamer who got caught up in World of Warcraft for a time. He eventually quit it, and everything's great with them now, but I asked Emma to talk about the time before. had a family I expected that we'd have a family that would be all of us and not all of us plus these avatars so there was definitely some tension like I'm going to be gone for a couple hours what or hey can you help no I've got this raid I'm doing uh-huh. how many hours was he playing we'd have dinner together and then right after dinner would be right into the office and I'd put the kids down and then I'd work and then we get to bed like midnight it'd be hours every day We would get into arguments because I would finish working sometimes at midnight and the dishes wouldn't be done. And he'd be like, well, I made dinner. And I'd be like, yeah, but you just played for five hours and I was working. Maybe you could pick up the slack here. So there was that kind of bickering. But I just kept going back to it's not porn. He's not drunk. He's not gambling our money away. So fine, because I was working a lot of hours. But at times it did interfere with family time. And that really bugged me. You blame yourself at all because it sounds like you were unavailable a lot. and You had a lot of work to do. So he was sort of left to his own devices. Yeah, I could say drove him to it. (laughs) Really? Yeah, it didn't take that much driving because he really does that stuff. It just seems like a time suck with like, how much time do we have on this planet? If I spent all that time, I'd be an awesome guitar player. And how cool would that be? Learning guitar is work. This is leisure. Right. But what do you get at the end of the work of learning guitar? You have a skill. Yeah. There are these dads that sit with the kids in the living room and sing Beatles songs. That's so cool. What are you doing with this? Uh, You know, I've got this belt that you can't see because it's online, but it's really cool and worth a lot of money. I don't know. What do you do with that? (laughs) I can play tennis really well with my thumbs. Guitar is a great example because the latest rock band uses a real guitar to register your playing. So with that peripheral, you are learning the guitar. But you're going to take guitar lessons, and there's just going to be all these feelings that are going to come up. Now, this is Justine Barron. That are going to be painful, and you're not going to want to deal with and work through. What are the feelings? Shame and self-doubt. And you're back in that void where it's like, when do I get goalposts for achievement? When do I know I'm good enough? My teacher will tell me, but I won't believe him. Can I please rack up points? That's it. We need more points in life. I need writing points. You I... wouldn't just have to be, am I a good writer? Am I any... Well, yeah, I'm level 30 now. I used to be level five. Oh, man. They do that in the government, which my mom worked for. You actually have grades. I'm reading this article about Scientology, and they do that in Scientology. Yes, they do. They numerically designate your progress. And so do the 12-steppers. So the steps are like levels? They kind of are. I mean, it's... I mean, it's step. That's the definition of a and step. I think that program has great appeal in that regard. But for games, you're addicted to these numerical designations, and then you use a 12-step program to get over it. Oh, that's really funny. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff in Scientology that's useful, and people need a little guidance and structure to their lives. So let's develop something that keeps the good stuff and leaves out all the corruption and cultishness. There should just be certain things that you can accomplish that validate you that are very simple. Like you filed your taxes this year, so we're going to give you some points for that. Right. Instead of just you get punished if you don't do it. Right. What kind of points can the government give us to make us feel at the end of the year like we're good people? Or our employers. Right. Or our loved ones. I mean, ultimately, it's against what the therapist would say, which is you have to validate yourself and not Uh, seek it from outside. I just, I don't know about all that. (laughs) (laughs) How about I pay you? You're my therapist. Validate me. (laughs) Give me some points, you know? (laughs) Before long, every World of Warcraft player is confronted with the futility of the undertaking. At some point in the game, you pass by the place where you cleared out those wolves or orcs or zombies or giant spiders and notice It's just as crowded as before. You are constantly asked to thin the ranks of some encroaching enemy, but in a few minutes, everyone you killed reappears. They have to for all the other players who have yet to do the same quests. So nothing ever changes in this world. There are barbarians at the gate, but they never break through. It challenges your ability to buy into the fantasy. Nothing you do amounts to anything, even within the game. That's okay for the addict, because addiction is the hunger for sameness. It means getting today and tomorrow what you had yesterday. The addict split, though. The addict is both the child who has just been flipped in the air ten times, saying, Again! And the exhausted parent pleading, No more. But change is hard. I made resolutions like Kumail. One was not to play during daylight hours. 
I kept it for all of two weeks. Got some whiskey from a barman. I got some cookie from my friends. This is a Randy Newman song called Guilty. The singer, John Belushi. Keep on moving, baby. Till I'm back in your arms again. You know how it is with me, baby. You know I just can't stand myself. It takes a whole lot of medicine, darling. To pretend that I'm somebody else. I shared my concerns about games with Richard Garriott, and he had this to say. Addictive behavior exists uh, all the way across the board, whether you're talking slot machines or reading books or watching television or playing games. But there's no reason that just because something can be addictive or can be antisocial, should the class of that thing go away? Certainly not. But it's definitely something that concerns me a little bit. Other entertainments are addictive, but they don't have summer camps for kids who are addicted to TV. Maybe they should. Right. But, and uh, you can argue that games being a more powerful mental stroking is therefore more worrisome or risky. I don't think that case is ill-founded, but I would actually argue that the same quality that gives it the possibility of having a stronger addictive behavior also gives it a stronger positive impact. You never see positive drug stories on the news, do you? Isn't that weird? Here's a little Bill Hicks. Always that same LSD story. You've all seen it. Young man on acid thought he could fly, jumped out of a building. What a tragedy. What a dick. Fuck him. <laughs> He's an idiot. If he thought he could fly, why didn't he take off in the ground first? <laughs> Check it out. You don't see ducks lined up to catch elevators to fly south. They fly from the ground, you moron. Quit ruining for everybody. How about a positive LSD story? Wouldn't that be newsworthy just once to base your decision on information rather than scare tactics and superstitions and lies? Just once. I think it would be newsworthy. Today, a young man on acid realized that all matter is merely energy condensed to a slow vibration, that we are all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. There is no such thing as death. Life is only a dream, and we're the imagination of ourselves. Here's Tom with the weather. I was probably on this razor's edge. If I had fallen off the other side, perhaps I would have just, you know, never been employable again. It ended up working out wonderfully for me, but I saw other folks who did nothing but play 100-hour weeks and towards what. So you decided to kick heroin and become a dealer. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm addicted to food. And I see guys out there in Newport Beach who are clearly addicted to surfing. Yeah. And there are plenty of people who are addicted to other pleasurable feedback loops. Yeah. But nobody eats 80 hours a week and nobody ever has to quit eating. Sure they do. Well, uh, you can't quit completely. Well, look around L.A. People get lap band surgery, yeah. which is incredibly dangerous just to physically constrain their stomach's ability to accept food. Uh -huh. People either kill themselves with food or have a heart attack and have to go on the straight and narrow. Our relationship with food is tortured. Look at the billions, I think it's roughly 50 billion a year in the U.S. alone, spent on diet products. Uh -huh. That's one of our deepest addictions. Yeah, interesting. You think there's no significant difference between that and the game addiction? Well, I think anything positive can be taken to excess. You go to a ski resort and you'll see the guys who work minimum wage jobs just to spend it on skiing. And right. I mean, perhaps it's not so bad to just pursue your passion, whatever yeah. it is, even if it's gluttony. Think of one of our greatest slackers ever, the dude. I'm sorry I wasn't listening. He lives to bowl and really doesn't care about career success. Is he addicted to bowling? Is he ruining his life? I think one of the statements of the movie is that he's achieving some sort of zen state. But I think he's also held out as a slacker fuck up. Oh, yeah, totally. If the world was all dudes, we wouldn't achieve anything. Well, we're all uneasy with the idea that someone can just go entertain themselves endlessly and lose all ambition. But at the same time, maybe that's I, okay. I often don't feel right when I'm judging someone who hasn't achieved. Mm -hmm. The conversation is starting from a certain set of values that right. may or may not be right. 
we're pretty deeply rooted in our consumerist culture and our yeah, Protestant our work IG. ethic. Yeah. All right, but you're going to have kids one day. Will you be happy with a dude or a dudette? That's a great question. Um, no, I wouldn't be cool with that. Hey, if I, come on, Dad. I'm just living my life. I'm enjoying myself, not hurting anybody. You know? Get um, off my back, I, old I man. <laughs> <laughs> I think part of what lets people live a life of luxury is all those other Maslowian needs are taken care of. Right. We've got a roof and essentially infinite food because calories are so cheap in our mass agriculture society. So maybe that's what allows people to blow their entire existence on pursuing some form of entertainment, whatever it is. You know, this could be a, a, a lot more uh, 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 complex. I mean, it's not just, it might not be just such a simple, uh, you know? I heard it all the time where people are like, real life calls as they logged off the game. Games are just another activity that you do in real life. Baseball or poker with the buddies. Every activity is viable. It's not like you're putting life on hold. You're just choosing to spend part of your life on those activities. It's not a habit, it's cool. I feel alive. If you don't have it, you're on the other side. I'm not an addict. Maybe that's a lie. How do you treat a game addict? My particular style is called motivational interviewing. You want to help them increase their self-awareness and help them see a positive future for themselves. How you do that depends a lot on the person. I always talk about the good things of gaming. I want to validate that, but then also what are the not so good things? A lot of times having people add up how much time have you spent gaming total in your life when people do that, it's kind of shocking. Yeah. Examining what kinds of things have you not done because you've been gaming. You never got a driver's license. You're 24 and you've never had a date. You've had all these great accomplishments in the game, but it's time that you're looking at the real world and going, gee, everybody's passed me by. I've been in college for 10 years. Some people are very depressed or very anxious, and they don't really know how to identify that. So helping them explore what's really bothering them. Because when you're engaging in an addiction, you don't pause and even think about it. You're medicating, but you don't even know why. You don't even know why. And then once they get that self-awareness, what do we do about it? Maybe you've got to get a job. Okay, how do you get a job? How do you fill out applications? You're often dealing with someone they don't know how to do things because they've spent so many years gaming. You help raise awareness that there are choices and your life can be different. There are so many things pushing us to our bad habits, not just the many kinds of pleasure we get from them. There's the rut you dig doing something day after day. It becomes a chasm that's hard to climb out of and hard not to fall back into if you do. Addiction gives you guidance. It gives your days direction. It feels more like your job than your actual job, more like your family than your real family. It's dependable, faithful, doting. It calls you when you're out and says, when are you coming home? If you try to quit, you feel lost, adrift. You know what you're getting with the old ways. Progress is a step into the unknown. People really have to come up with other pleasurable activities to fill the time. And sometimes that gets into actually planning hour per hour through the day and evening. Let's go to the gym or let's go out hiking and change those neural pathways in the brain that have gotten so used to one thing. One thing. One thing. Mine has on it but one word. Do you know what the secret of life is? No. What? This. Your finger? One thing. Just one thing. You stick to that and everything else don't mean shit. That's great, but what's the one thing? That's what you gotta figure out. My cousin had a Nintendo, yeah. and he would play Ninja Turtles on it. And I remember thinking, video games will never get better than this. This is the height. <laughs> the graphics will never be better than You're this. Like, this cannot be improved upon. It, yeah, this is it. We've done it. We've perfected video what games. What will humanity do now? <laughs> yeah, go to the End moon again, I guess. <laughs> And then I got a Super Nintendo, and that was the second time when I played Street Fighter 2. I remember thinking, now this, this is really this is it. 
Yeah. Yes, they will never I know I said this once before. Yeah, I was My wrong. My credibility's on the line. This is it. <laughs> it is amazing how far they've come. Video games are the only medium that are better now than they've ever been because of technology. Movies, some of from the 70s were always doing the best movies of all time. But if 30 years ago somebody was like, I want to make a game where your son is kidnapped by a serial killer and blah, 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 <laughs> the program would be like, okay, I can give you a yellow circle <laughs> eating other smaller yellow circles. <laughs> Right, And the rest of the story we can put in the manual. So I do think <laughs> games are at a very exciting time where it is all this opportunity that's open and that it can do so much more than they've done. It's actually a new narrative medium and it's evolving and it's really exciting to see because how do you have a strong narrative when you want to give the player control? Right. The author doesn't have that control. So how do you still have it be satisfying and meaningful? Right. There's going to be a lot of trash, but hopefully there'll be some that are legitimately art. I'm probably going to be playing forever. I'll probably play with my kids, hopefully. And, yeah. Hopefully and, they'll play with you. Exactly. <laughs> that is a weird thing where now old people will also be playing video games. I got to ask, are you a cop? No. Have you ever wired tripped? No. A, a virgin brain. Good. Okay. I want you to know what we're talking about here. This is not like TV, only better. This is life. Pure and uncut. You're there. You're doing it. You're seeing it. You're hearing it. You're feeling it. What kind of things? Anything. It's whatever you want. Whoever you want to be. It's about the stuff that you can't have. The forbidden fruit. Like running into a liquor store with a 357 Magnum in your hand. Feeling the adrenaline pumping through your veins. Or, um, you see that guy over there with a the drop-dead Filipino girlfriend? Wouldn't you let it be that guy for 20 minutes? The right 20 minutes? I can make it happen and you won't even tarnish your wedding ring. 30 years ago, we had Pong. What will we have in another 30 years? What happens when the games feel fully real? It won't just be depressed nerds getting lost then. Real life will have a harder and harder time competing. More and more, we'll be connecting in made-up places with made-up bodies. We'll think about our avatars the way we now think about clothing. We'll be ever more perfect, and the contrast between our real and made-up selves will sharpen as our real-life bodies deteriorate. Maybe. One of the areas that I would love to see us achieve, but I sadly am also a skeptic of, is mm -hmm. true virtual reality. I can't tell you how many cycles that I've done things like buy the 3D head tracking goggles and data gloves and other things to try to create a true immersive virtual world where you really could look around naturally with your head and physically interact with the world in a way that really believed that you were there. And just as importantly, that there was a world created within those technologies that was compelling and meaningful to be inside of. That to me is the holy grail. However, we're not much closer to it today than we were 20 or 30 years ago. Really? I really believe that. The counter arguments are things like, well, wow, look, we can do real-time 3D graphics. Yes. Wow, we have controllers now that you can just wave your arms in front of and you get an input into the game. Yes, I agree. There's even goggles you can wear that sort of do head tracking, usually with some significant lag and therefore nausea induced. But the frame rate and resolution and tracking accuracy and speed that are required is still a few orders of magnitude beyond the current state of the art. Even at NASA's VR simulation lab, which I was in prior to my own space flight, they've got a largely infinite budget. And, you know, as cool and clever as that lab was, it still is a long, long way from a general virtual reality environment. But, I mean, if it's just a matter of volume. Look at what's happened with computers in the last 30 years. Yeah, and there's no question that the Moore's Law rate of increase is still occurring. Computation power is still going up phenomenally fast. I just think people have underestimated the virtual reality problem. Once we do get true virtual reality, and that day will come, there's no question that it will come with the potential of the problems you're describing. However, I believe that society is maturing alongside these quite nicely. I don't look at the youth of today and think that they are any less capable or connected than you and I were. So I don't see those risks as being insurmountable. I think they're coming on slowly enough that society has done a pretty good job of wrapping its head around it as these dangers and opportunities have emerged. All right, I'm going to run something by you. Sure. No matter how compassionate each of us may be, we all walk through the world only knowing our own perceptions. Mm -hmm. And each of us is the only one that we know is real. Yep. And I feel games fit into that 
because everyone around us is an image and that's true in real life too we don't see behind the face of the person we see and so the characters we interact with if you as a game maker can create a reasonable facsimile of inner workings it doesn't really matter if those inner workings are there or not i agree with you first of all that i think most of us as modern adults we acknowledge that the rest of the physical universe around us really is there in a physical way and that these other humans really are independent minds just like we are however perceptively all you know is your own and once you go into the virtual world when you run into a character driven by a quote real person or a character driven by artificial intelligence pretty soon these are going to pass the turing test and what's that ah uh, yes yeah, so a test by which the early days of computing true artificial intelligence would be judged you would ask a series of questions to an operator behind a screen to pass the Turing test, a computer would have to be able to respond to the questioner and not be distinguishable from a human being. Passing the Turing test is like virtual reality. It's ever so close and yet still far away. Right. However, I can already tell you that I myself, in Ultima Online, I believe, I remember walking up to a character and attempting an interaction with that character. And it took me quite some time before I actually realized it wasn't a real person. Oh, wow. And so it was the first time in a game for a few minutes where I just thought this person was being flippant or obstinate uh -huh. <laughs> when, in fact, they weren't real. And I did eventually conclude it, but at least there was a period of moments where I actually didn't know, where I realized, wow, we are truly getting to the point where you really won't be able to tell. And there really will be social ramifications to this, because just like people fall in love with people they meet online, as soon as something passes the Turing test, not only do we have Skynet problems of computers deciding <laughs> to take over the world, yeah. but we similarly could have AIs and real people bond in ways that you know, people find uh, unexpected. I see couples quite a bit. and people are having virtual sex mm -hmm. and is that infidelity um, some of the games are kind of set up for that i'm thinking of the red light center game it's a virtual sex world I, with course, avatars had... or is it with avatars oh, wow. yeah okay. you can check it out <laughs> well it'll all be pure research if i do it was i went into it <laughs> yeah. it was really a trip and it's having a huge impact on couples relationships now i have a comedian friend who has a bit about doug stanhope Every vice is already a punishment in itself. You watch too much porno, it diminishes your taste for the kind of girls who will actually fuck you. It's got a downside. And that's been proven. There are studies that support that. People become less attracted to their partners because their partners don't meet up with the virtual ideal and marriages are breaking up. Yeah. So we've already got this going on and I don't think therapists understand it or know how to cope with it. I'm struggling with how do we frame it? So what in the world is going to happen in the future? When we that? have the real life sex robots or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of freaky. There's a thinker, and I don't know who it is, but basically they say what will happen to humans is our technologies will get better and better at giving us joy. It'll uh -huh. be drugs and television, whatever the entertainment is. Basically, we will become amoebas that sit on the couch and just are fed all this awesome entertainment directly into our brains, and right. we will never move. And that's how our society will end, or our race will end. We will have achieved the perfect entertainment that just creates a constant flow of endorphins and euphoria. Right, um, and we're just these passive and like, that's it. heads and, jars. Right, once we solved all of our challenges and can just do that. Do you think that's the way we're going? Well, what I think is what we see right now is only a blip in the history of what entertainment will be. And it's couch bound right now, but we see it coming up from the couch in the form of the Wii and the Kinect. Uh -huh. And so gaming actually won't be quite so physiologically destructive once it becomes more motion oriented. Right. And it's just the human computer interface right now, the mouse and keyboard are going to go away. We shouldn't have to type. We shouldn't have to sit. I actually stand at work. I don't have a seat at work. I often stand on a balance board. So computers will be ambient. They'll be around us. We won't have to stare at a screen. We won't have to strain our eyes. We won't have to be sedentary. And when gaming is more active, then really what are the negatives? Many people think there's something innate that makes us want to hate an other. I say instead of trying to deny that or overcome it, why not just pick a better other? 
Maybe World of Warcraft and other games are solving a problem. We want to fight. We want the excitement and distraction of war without the suffering and misery. Well, done. People put down gamers because they sit inside all day and aren't part of the world. But that's a class half-empty view of things. Consider, they're inside all day and not hurting anybody. They're not hijacking your plane or burgling your house or even pissing in your alley. They're out of trouble. They get the thrill of brandishing weapons without any of us having to be frightened. We all know the old Edmund Burke saw that all evil needs to triumph is for good people to do nothing. But how about the converse? Maybe good can triumph if the evil do nothing. Maybe the problem wasn't that Nero fiddled, but that the ones with the torches weren't holding instruments instead. We got to the point where the fiddles are really fun and easy to learn. So instead of fighting the unwinnable battle of trying to stop the playing, let's at least make sure we're not the only ones. Where war is virtual, peace is actual. Yes, let's try to be better. Let's stay strong and vigilant and stand up to our enemies. But let's also give them all PlayStations. Watch the world turn serene. And invest in restaurants that deliver. Well, I thought that'd be a good note to end on, but Siobhan says, not so fast. If it's true that it stops in the game, I think yeah. that's one of the questions. The research on violence is really controversial, and you can find studies that go both directions. And right. some studies do indicate that particularly kids who have abuse histories or have problems with aggression, mm -hmm. which kids with abuse histories often do, the more they play aggressive games, the more aggressive their behavior becomes. It just desensitizes them or... It just reinforces those neural pathways. Rather than helping them calm down, it just keeps it going. It's this fucking life. You never know what's going to happen next. And that's why Diane keeps on going like she does. See, most people, they don't know how they're going to feel from one minute to the next. But a dope fiend has a pretty good idea. All they got to do is look at the labels on the little bottles. I hope Vlad's right. And Richard. I hope we'll be able to make sense of the technology so we don't just turn into useless lumps on a dopamine drip. We just want to feel good. Just want things to go our way a little more. It's hard to make life match our dreams. So it was probably inevitable that we'd try instead to just make our dreams more lifelike. Birds fly over the rainbow as for me, getting over the game happened gradually. I hit the top level, finished all the quests. The game then shifts and becomes a search for better and better gear. You run dungeons at heroic level. The circular logic continues. Why do you do runs? To get better gear. Why do you want better gear? To do better on runs. You also do it for fun, of course, but they're only about 20, and with repetition, the thrill fades. The game's hold on me weakened. One day I was playing, and a thought bubbled up that gave me pause. All your potential sits outside this place. Spring arrived. Warmth and color returned to the real world. I got over the hurt of that rough relationship. I caught my reflection in a full-length mirror and didn't like what I saw. I got back to exercising. I started getting out more, writing and performing more. Finally, six months after I started, I canceled my subscription. It's two years later now. I moved to California. No more Chicago winters for me. Once in a while, Blizzard sends me a free week. I always happily take it, and so far have not fallen back in. I know this would be better listening if I'd hit bottom in some dramatic, sordid way and deleted my character, but I didn't. It took me so long to build up Life Waster, I couldn't bring myself to erase him. And even if I had, I might still be tempted back. You can always start a new character. And Blizzard comes out with expansions to keep their players interested. New lands to explore, new quests to complete, new enemies to conquer, and always the same old one. Let the sun shine.
That's the show. If you haven't already, please pop on iTunes and give us a rating. However many stars over four you want to give. I leave it entirely up to you. A sentence or two about how this podcast makes your life worth living would also be appreciated. Thanks to Kamel Nanjani, Siobhan Scott, Doug Stanhope, and the ghost of Bill Hicks, Vlad Cole, Richard Garriott, Justine Barron, and the audio avatar we call Emma. I'd also like to thank Dr. Jack Kuo, Nels Clark, and Brian Petrovka, who all helped educate me on the subject. Thanks to everyone who has written in or posted on the Facebook page. Please keep those comments coming. Head over to myclonicjerk.com for more info on the show and everyone you heard. If you'd like to help support the show, there's a little donate button there. Every little bit helps. No pressure. That's it. Thanks for listening and have a great summer. Next episode, Enemies. See ya. One, two, three, four. Is it too much? Too no, little? Pretend you're agitated. Oh, cry. Why would you say this? <laughs> okay, that's good.